So I want to talk about different kinds of, of signs and wonders, and maybe some of these have already happened to you. If God gives you a sign and a wonder, please write it down. Don't waste the moment. Write it down. Journal it. Don't be like the disciples and hold a basket in your hand one day and doubt God the next day because you failed to remember what he's already done and what he's already said to you. So one of the first signs and wonders is visions and dreams. I don't know how many of you have had visions and dreams, but don't just... Don't just play around with those like it's, you know, it's just a, some, some kind of commercial that you just saw that you can forget. If God has taken the time to speak to you in visions and dreams, you need to write that down, put it on the wall, live it out. It's something that you need to take very, very serious in your life. So Daniel 1 and 17 says, as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill. Anybody ready for God to give you knowledge and skill? How many of you know that God can give you a skill that you've never had before? God can teach you something that you did not know how to do. You can go to bed one night just like Bezaliel. You can go to bed one night not knowing how to do it and get up the next day and you know how to do it. God can give you art. God can give you a language. God can give you knowledge of things that you have never read before. You have no knowledge of, but God can give you that. So this is what he said. God's talking about uh, these, these four Hebrew children, Daniel, and then the guys we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God gave them knowledge and skills and all literature and wisdom. Think about that. God poured years of Babylonian literature into them. They were slaves, but God put Babylonian history so that they could advise the king inside of them. And Daniel had understanding in all dreams and visions. So one of the things that I believe strongly about is I don't want to make a major move in my life without a sign. And uh, Faith and I were pastoring a small church in West Tennessee. I was uh, 21 years of age. We're, we were both 21 years of age. And we were pastoring this small little church, about 200 people. And um, as a matter of fact, we just my daughter Brittany, who's here tonight, was two years old. My daughter Lindsay was just born. And so we had these two little babies in our house, and I would, my practice was on Mondays, I like to spend a day in prayer, so I would go horseback riding. So I would take this horse up to the top of this mountain, and I went to the top of this mountain, and I, and I just laid back in the moss just to kind of rest, which is what I did about every, every Monday that I had a nice day and I could do that. So I went up there, and I just laid my head back in the moss, and all of a sudden, it was like a daydream. That's the best way I can describe it. It was a vision, but I wasn't asleep. I laid my head back. It was like I watched this small little movie in my mind. My eyes were closed. My eyes were not open. But I had this, it was like a, a very vivid daydream. And I can tell you, I can still see it. It's not something I have to guess about. If I close my eyes, I can see it just as plain now as I could then. See, that's the difference in you doing it and God doing it. It sticks with you. It's vivid. There's details. It's, God is not as confused as some people make him sound like because they're, they're giving you a word every time they hiccup. And that's not what God sounds like, and that's not how God works. But you also have to be patient with people who do that and let them grow into their gift because you do have to grow into your gift. And you have to, don't rebuke people that are trying to grow into a gift. Let them grow into it. That's very important. Let them grow into it. So you just you be, be wise and be, you know, just use wisdom and just go ahead and say thank you and keep going. But don't stake your life on it every time. 
So you just have to let them grow. But I just had this daydream. I saw myself. I had this horn of oil in my hand, and I, I was in this field of really old, battered sheep. They were bloody. They were wounded. looked like they had been beaten up by wolves, and, and some of their chunks of their, of their wool was gone. And the Lord just said to me in this, in this vision, if you'll pour oil in this, in this, uh, on these sheep and massage it in, they will, they will heal, and they will begin to grow to a number that you'll never be able to count. And so in this vision, I just started pouring oil over the sheep and began to rub it in their fur and all, in, their, in their wool and all these broken, hurting places in them. Then all of a sudden, I saw this valley that filled up as far as my eye could see with more sheep than I could count. I have no idea what it meant, but I left there and I was excited about it. I came home, I told my redhead about the, the vision and she said, nice, that's nice, you know. I mean, she wasn't that, she wasn't that excited either about it, but I was, I was, just, I was just thinking, well, I, I really believe it was God, but here's what convinced me. I was having a revival at that little church that we were pastoring. We had a revival, and the evangelist was there preaching, and he got that big prophet bug-eyed look. You know what I'm talking about, the kind that scares you and you want to duck because you think he's coming after you? He got that big bug-eyed look in his eyes, and he turned around to me, and he said, Brian, I don't know what this means, but the Lord just showed me something that I'm supposed to tell you. I see a horn of oil in your hand, and he described that, that vision to a T about the sheep and filling up the valley, and I still did not know what to do with it. Now I have a witness. I have a confirmation that this was a sign from God, and now I have a witness that somebody has now made me, now I know it's from God because he didn't see it, and he just described it. My wife was a witness that that's the same story I told her, and then I got a call from the Bishop of Missouri for the Church of God, and this is what he said. He said, Brian, we need some young men to come out here in, in Missouri. They didn't have a, a Church of God in those days that ran over 80 people. That was their largest church. And he said, um, he said, we need some young men to come out here in Missouri. Now, I'd never been to Missouri. I didn't have any desire to go to Missouri. And so he called me, but this is what he said. He said, um, I have a church out here I'd like for you to just come and take a look at. It is filled with broken, old, tattered sheep. But I believe if somebody could pour oil over these sheep, they would heal. Now he's speaking my language. I got off that phone, and my redhead can tell you, I got off that phone, and I turned around to her in the kitchen, and I said, honey, I think we're moving to Missouri. And she said, why in the world would we do that? And I said, because God has given me this uncommon sign. And so we agreed to just go look at this church. And so I told you visions and dreams. So that night before we got to Missouri, now I'm telling you, when you're gonna make a major move, you need a major sign. It's a big, it's a big deal. And so uh, before, we, before we went there that night, I had a dream. And I just thought it was anxiety. I just thought, you know, I'm just dreaming because I'm going to see this church. And I saw this church. As a matter of fact, I think I have a picture of it up here to show you guys. I saw this church on the outside. And uh, if you guys would throw that up there for me. There it is. And that was the church that I saw in my dream. And that's the first church we pastored in Missouri. And God took me all through this little church. I knew the color of the carpet. I even knew there were PV speakers on the back wall. I could tell you where the organ was at. And so when we showed up, we drove by two or three little churches there on Big Ben, and I knew those wasn't it. When we pulled up to this church, my jaw dropped because I told Faith, I said, this is the church in my dream, and I wanted to put it to the test. So when the bishop showed up and met us there, I said, before we go in, can I ask you a really weird question? Does this church have red carpet? 
He said, yeah, but you know, that's kind of a good guess because back then almost all churches did. So that could have been a good guess. And I said, when we go in this church in that side door, that little door that you see right there on the side, I said, are we gonna go down a long hallway? Yeah. Is there paneling, wood paneling on both sides where that red carpet is? He said, well, yeah. I said, if I go all the way down that hallway, can I go into the back of the sanctuary from the back? Well, yes, you can. I said, okay, this is weird, I know. Are there PV speakers, really long PV speakers hanging on the back wall, which is also wood paneling? He said, yes. How did you know all of this? And let me tell you something. I said, I don't care if they, I don't care what you have to do, but I, I told my wife, we gotta go home and pack. God has given me a vision, and God has given me a dream. There is no way in the world that could have happened any other way. That's the reason when we went there and I was put on the occult sit list and went through hell for a while, that's the reason we stayed. We had a lot of reasons to leave in the beginning. We weren't getting paid. We had all kinds of reasons to leave, and we only stayed for one reason. There was a prophecy hanging over my head from that vision and that dream, and I'm telling you, there was people begging me to leave, telling me I had to leave. It looked like my life was even in peril. It looked like I should have left, and there's only one reason I stayed is because God had given me signs and wonders to send me there, and can I tell you, those sheep began to multiply into thousands. There were over 94 ministers that left. Most of them are pastors or evangelists or missionaries around the world today. And can I tell you, there's no way to count the sheep that came out of those 52 people in the Webster Groves Church of God in those early days. There's no way to count those. And I wanna tell you something that I have never told anybody but one person in my life you know when they asked me, Pam was in the room, so I've got a witness here. When they asked me, would you come here and lead OCI? You know what my answer was? No, I'm doing too much. I got way too much. Wasn't that I didn't love it, and it was not that I didn't want to. But I said, there's no way I can. I've got too many irons in the fire. I've got too many things going on. And I prayed about it. And I still said no. I met with Samuel, and I told him no. I met with Rick and Karen, and I told them no. I met with Perry and Pam. I told them in a Zoom meeting with all of them, I told them no. I said, there's just no way, I, there's no way. I even told my staff at ISO, y'all need to help me pray about this because you see how busy I am. I'm still on the road. I still do church trainer. I still do Brian Cutchell Ministries. I can't do it. And I'm praying one morning in my prayer room, and the Lord said one phrase to me, only one phrase to me. He said, take your horn and go. I said, wait a minute. There's only one other time you told me that. That's when you sent me to St. Louis to heal a broken house, to heal a broken group of people. And the number became so large, I could not even, I could not even count them. And the Lord, now God, is that what you're telling me? And this is what I said. I'm being honest. Faith is the only person who knows this part. I said, God, if that was you who told me that, then I need a sign. I'm not just gonna jump around here on my own feelings. I don't trust my feelings that much, and you shouldn't either. So I'm hearing this from God. I've already told them, though, God tells me a word now, take your horn and go. So I said, listen, 
I want to just, I, I just need to hear a sermon. So I click on YouTube. I type in a name of a person that I haven't listened to in years. It was T.D. Jakes. I, haven't, I like him, but I haven't listened to him in probably four or five years. I haven't listened to one of his sermons. I've, I, I, I just typed in T.D. Jakes because I had lunch with him one day, and I, and I have great respect for him, and I've been to his conferences. You know what? The first sermon that popped up, it said, fill your horn with oil and go. Now I'm really messed up. God is telling me this right and left, so guess what I had to do? I had to call every one of them and say yes. I said, I don't get it. I don't even know how I'm gonna do it all, but God has got something great. If I'll just pour in the oil, God is gonna do the rest. And I'm telling you guys, you haven't seen anything yet. There's going to be a day when you can't get them in here. There's going to be a day that there's going to be young people crying out to God. The glory is going to fill the house. All I'm doing right now is pouring the oil in the pain. I'm pouring the oil in the hurts of God's people. This nation has been through pain. We're coming out of a pandemic. God said, just heal the people. You don't have to do anything else. This is the second time in my life he has given me this assignment, and I'm telling you, I I stand before you with my eyes wide open and great faith that God is going to do things that are going to blow our mind before he finishes doing everything he's going to do. We are just getting started. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Signs and wonders. If God gives you a vision, if God gives you a word, if God gives you a dream, don't ignore it. It may not even make sense to you at the time. I'll tell you, it, it made no sense to anybody in my family when we moved to Missouri, including my wife. And she trust, this is what she said to me. I don't get this, but I trust you. She said, God, God hasn't given her all the things he's given me, but this is what she said. I trust you. And you know what she told me when I went back to her and I said, I'm going to go to OCI? And I don't care if you call me pastor. I get it. I get it. You're calling me. I, I said at first I'm the director. I don't care what you call me. You call me anything you want to call me. I know what my assignment is here. I've got a horn of oil in my hand, and I'm going to pour it and pour it and pour it until God does. This place is going to get so anointed and so oily. By the time it's over with, you won't even know. You won't even be, believe your own eyes with what you see that God is going to do. And I went to my wife and I said, you know, I'm already running three ministries. She said, I know. And I said, you know what? God wants me to run four ministries now. I don't know how I'm going to do it. You know what she said? She just said this to me. I trust you. If God said to do it, I trust you. He will not let you down. And guess what? He has it. And I'm actually having a ball. I want to tell you that. I love you as much as I hope you love me because I'm having a ball. All right. So the first one, visions and dreams. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com. Or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you, and God bless you, and may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to hope in the word. It says in, in verse 15 that they brought the sick out in the streets and laid them on the beds and the couches, and at least the, and when the shadow of Peter passing by fell on them, that people were being healed because his shadow was passing over them. 
My goodness, can you imagine being in a moment like that? So a couple of weeks ago um, at ISO, we had Pastor Adam Bauer from York, Pennsylvania, who was teaching a course for us on the first and second Timothy and Titus. Amazing, amazing teacher, by the way. And those of you that heard him, everybody's asking for him to come back because he was really that good. And you would love him if you heard him. You, you would love him. So we were sitting there having dinner. Now, if you, if you met Pastor Adam, he walks in a realm of faith that's very rare. I mean, he just believes anybody can be healed anytime he prays for him. And he's the guy that prayed for Philip, and he prayed for several other people, some people that got healed instantly when he prayed for them there at ISO. He just has a gift. And he just, you know, he, he, he just believes that God can do anything, and he has kind of a childlike faith. And I asked him, I said, Adam, you, you've got a rare faith, man. Where did, you, where did this happen? He said, well, you know, uh, I started hanging around some guys that were in the, in the you know, faith movement. And one of those was, was, uh, was Mike Todd, or excuse me, not Mike Todd, uh, Todd White. And he said, I started hanging around Todd White, and he said, this is the first time it got my attention. He said, my, he said Todd White was speaking at the, you, you guys remember Todd White? He spoke here at Warrior Fest before. He kind of looks like a lion. You know, he has dreadlocks. He kind of looks like a lion. And... Uh, so he said that uh, Todd, Todd was there speaking, and they went out to this buffet to eat. And he said they were all, you know, just eating. It's just a regular one of those big buffets, you know. And he said Todd got up, and he walked to the buffet, and, and he, told the, he gave this guy a word of knowledge and said, God wants to heal you. Do you believe that God can heal you right here at this buffet? And this guy, just because he told him what, he, what was wrong with him, the guy said yes, and the guy raises his hands right there in the middle of the restaurant at the buffet. Todd, ra- pa- Todd prays for him, and he gets healed. And this guy witnesses, and he's going and telling everybody else. Well, one of his buddies comes over there with a, with a, uh, a cast on his leg where he'd had surgery, and Todd right there at this buffet I mean, they're in the middle of a restaurant, this buffet. He prays for this guy, and this guy starts taking the braces off of his leg and the cast off his leg and jumping up and down. And then Todd starts praying for people at the buffet line. And, and not, only, not only were people getting healed, four people got saved there at the buffet. Four people got saved. And Todd just got up from his seat because it was just like normal for him. It's just like, that's what I call being naturally supernatural. You know, just, just being supernatural wherever you are. Don't make a big deal out of it. Just be naturally supernatural. So he said this is the thing that was the clincher for him. He said, he said that Todd wanted to pay for the meal because the Lord had given him a word for somebody, the, the cashier, and the, and the pastor had already paid for the meal. And so Todd said, well, well uh, you guys wait here. Well, Adam was hanging out with him just because he wanted to see what was going to happen next. He said that Todd went up to the lady behind the cash register and he said to her, he said, uh, I want to I buy one soda to go. Can you get that for me? And she said, sure. So she went and got him a soda, and he paid for it, and he left her a $189.12 tip. And she looked at that. He said, this is your tip because your cell phone is about to be turned off, and this is the amount of your cell phone bill. And if your cell phone is turned off, your ex-husband is going to try to take your child from you. And you have been worried all day long because if you lose your cell phone, you're going to lose your child. But I want you to know that God just paid your cell phone bill. And he had left her at $189.12 on that tip. And he said, when that happened, this girl screamed out loud and she fell to her knees and gave her heart to Jesus Christ right there. They had revival right there at a, at a buffet. I'm telling you guys, that's wild. That's absolutely wild. 
If we had more people who operated in the supernatural, can you imagine what God could unleash in the body of Christ? That's, a, that's amazing. Well, let me tell you something that I saw, healings and miracles. Let me tell you something that I saw. I was 18 years old. I was, a, I was at Lee College. I joined a group called Pioneers for Christ. I don't know if they're still around, but, but the guy who was over it was Charles Beach. He was, my, he was over at Pioneers for Christ, and he assigned me the nursing home. And I was a little upset about that. You know, I'm thinking, come on, man, I'm a wannabe preacher here. I've got a Dake's Bible and everything, and you want to get me to go to the nursing home and pray for the sick. So that was my assignment. So I took my roommate Randy Jenkins with me at this particular time, and we're going around the Bradley County Nursing Home right here in Bradley County. We're going around Bradley County Nursing Home from room to room praying for people. And we, we had skipped a room. We didn't mean to, but we were just going across the hall. We're going in. We're little Lee College wannabe preachers, and we got a little bottle of oil and big old Bibles as big as we are, and we're just trying to pray for people, you know, stretch our faith as much as we can. We walked by this woman's room, and she said, Hey, boys, are you preachers? And we said, Yes, ma'am, we are. She said, Then get in here. I've been waiting on you all day. This was the sassiest little woman she had crippling arthritis, and her, her fingers and her arms were crippled up, and her legs were crippled up right next to her. And she was like in a fetal position. Her arthritis had just crippled her legs and arms. She hadn't walked in years, couldn't even feed herself with a spoon. She was just laying in that bed at the mercy of everybody else. But she had a mouth on her, I'll tell you that. And she sassed me and Randy and got us in there. She said, are you Holy Ghost filled? I said, yes, ma'am, we are. She said, you're not kidding me, are you? You're Holy Ghost filled. Yes, ma'am, we're Holy Ghost filled. She said, then get over here and pray for me. And when we started praying, we weren't praying loud enough. She said, no, pray. I said, pray. I said, pray. Well, we were so scared of her, we prayed, man. I mean, I laid my Dake's Bible on her. I didn't have any, I didn't have any oil. I wish I'd have had a gallon that day. I'd have poured it all over because she was demanding. She was pulling something out of me and Randy that we didn't even know we had. But all of a sudden, we were praying, and all of a sudden, I heard something. My eyes were closed, and I was praying, and I heard something that sounded like somebody had twigs breaking. It sounded like you took these, these small little twigs, and you were just breaking them like that, like a bunch of them at one time. And it was something popping. And I, I opened my eyes, and I saw it, and I saw this little lady pushing like this, trying to reach her hands out. She said, Quit watching, start praying. Boy, I've wanted to say that a lot of times to a lot of people. Quit watching, start praying. Start praying, start praying. And I'm watching and praying because I read that in the Bible. I knew I could do that. So I'm watching and praying. I'm telling you what, guys. I saw that. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed. We spoke in tongues and we prayed. We did. We, I was ready to turn a flip and pray. I was ready to do anything because the more we prayed, I watched her little arthritic fingers stretch out just like this till they became totally straight. And she did the other hand like this. And when she finished with her arms, she started on her legs. I saw her kicking those little, those little crippled legs underneath that sheet and the next thing I know, she has got those good arms. She has scooted herself up on the side of the bed. Her legs are still crippled and she's still saying, pray boys, pray. I've been waiting on you all day. Boy, we're praying and we're praying and we're praying and she starts stretching her legs out and before I know it, both legs are straight. All of her toes are straight and she gets out on the side of the bed and starts doing just like this on the side of the bed. 
I was 18 years old. It was not my faith, but God set me up to see a miracle, and I've never been the same since. You've come along too late to tell me that God doesn't do miracles. You've come along too late to tell me that God is not a healer. I saw God do that miracle right in front of my eyes. 18 years old. I really hadn't even preached a good sermon yet. But I want to tell you, my faith grew. That's what I want the next generation to see. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand His kingdom around the world. That's what I want this ge- the college generation to see. You see that, and you don't go back. You see that, you don't quit so easily. You see that, it wrecks you, it changes you for the rest of your life. Here's another sign and wonder that the Lord gives you. Angels. When Abraham saw angels, they looked like people. Three guests that sit down and ate with him. When the angels were sent to deliver Lot, they looked like men. When the angels appeared to Joseph and Mary in the Christmas story, they appeared in a dream. How many of you knew that an angel can visit you in your dream? Have you ever, have you ever had a visit from a loved one on the other side in your dream? How do you know that that was not real? How do you know? I don't, I don't know how that world works over there right now. I don't know how that works. How do you know that God didn't let them come back for a visit? I believe that. Um, about three years ago, I was scheduled to preach here on a Tuesday night, and my wife was driving her car here to meet me, and she was in an accident. And there was three cars involved in that accident. And... James Bradford was one of the first to arrive, and you're always happy when he shows up. But before he arrived, there was a a young man that came to the passenger window. My wife was trapped in the car because it was hit on the the driver's side, and her seatbelt, she couldn't get out. And and she panicked because, you know, she didn't know if the car would catch on fire. She didn't know. She wasn't physically hurt, but she was afraid because she couldn't get out of the car that something was going to happen. And she began to, she she panicked and began to cry. And there was a young man that came over to the passenger side, opened the door, and got in the car and held her hand. Got in the car and began to talk to her, got her completely calmed down, and told her everything is going to be okay, and just began to speak peace into her, and peace into her. They told me I got there as quick as I could. James Bradford was there. James Bradford got her out of the car We have no idea who he was. We never saw him afterwards. When he got out of the car, he just vanished. I'm not saying in thin air. I'm just saying we don't know who he was. We don't know where he came from. We don't know how he got there. We don't know if he was in a car. All we know is that somebody showed up when she needed them. You believe whatever you want to believe, but I believe that God can send angels on assignment that look like people that can show up just when you need to. 
I, I wasn't going to tell this story, but I'll tell, this is a, a, a longer story, and I'm going to tell it real quick. I got so many of these, I could keep here all night. When my daughter Brittany was in kindergarten, she was on her way to school in a, with, with, with a group of people and got into an accident. I was on a hunting trip, a deer hunting trip. And about an hour before this accident, I was out there in the woods, and I began to cry. And how many of you know that doesn't go too well with deer hunting? You know, crying, you, you, you cry after you go deer hunting when you didn't see anything, but you don't cry while you're deer hunting. I began to cry. I was in a deer stand. I began to cry. Now, how many of you know that's not very macho? Then I started praying in the Holy Ghost. How many of you know that don't go over too well either at 5 o'clock in the morning when everybody's out there with a gun? I mean, you're praying in the Holy Ghost in your deer stand. Everybody wants to shoot you to shut you up because you're, you're spooking everything around there. I'm praying in tongues for a solid hour. I go back to the camp. I only go back to the camp because I can't control it. I only go back to the camp because I don't know, I cannot stop praying out loud and crying out loud in the Holy Ghost, and I, I can't stop it. So I go back to the camp, and um, there was a, a, a farmer come down the road in a, in a, a, a pickup truck, and he, he, it was still dark outside, and he said, I'm looking for somebody named Brian. I said, well, that's me. I wasn't there five minutes earlier. I said, that's me. He said, I, they, they've, called, they've called my house, our farmhouse. Somebody called Pearl, uh, a lady in our church that knew the neighbor there. He said, your daughter Brittany has been in an accident. And what they told me is that they had to airlift her. I don't, I don't, they didn't have to airlift her, but that's what that farmer told me. And we think her neck is broke. We think her back is broken. They put her, I guess, in a, in, on that board and everything and, and all the things they did to get her to the hospital. Well, I didn't, I was stuck. I mean, you know, I've been in church my whole life. I didn't even know how to hotwire a car. So I was stuck there, and I was riding with Carl. And I'm, that farmer pulls out. I can still see his headlights. Guess who comes walking out of the woods who says he forgot something? Carl, the guy I'm riding with. He said, Pastor, what are you doing here? I said, I'm, uh, I said, I'm here because, and I told him this story. I said, what are you doing here? He said, I forgot something. I said, no, you didn't forget something. The Holy Spirit sent you back here to drive me to St. Louis. I got in, I got on my knees, and I prayed for three hours until we got back. And when I walked in that, when I walked in that hospital, I saw my redhead, and I saw my little girl standing right next to her. No broke neck, no broke back. She just had one little broken bone there on her cheekbone, and she was standing right there. We, we have pictures to commemorate it because it could have been a tragedy. What do you think happened? What do, what do you think happened? I was praying an hour before that wreck ever took place. You think whatever you think. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit came to her daddy and said, you need to pray angels into that van because a car is about to hit him, but we will take care of your daughter because you are praying over her. And I begin to pray and the Holy Spirit, you say what? Whatever you want to say, I am convinced that when she got thrown out of that seat, that she was caught by an angel, and the Lord took care of her, and she's sitting here tonight because God is good, and God answered the prayers of her dad when I was praying. Why, do, why does anybody want to live without the Holy Spirit? Why does anybody want to live without God on their side? 
Dr. Chiel Lowry, I sit in his chair every day over at ISO, and I'm never, I always remind myself that I, they took all of his furniture, but I'm still in his office, and I said, just leave the old prophet's chair. And every day I sink into that chair thinking, okay, help me out today, Dr. Lowry. I know you're up there. I'm convinced of that. I love to tell T.L. Lowry stories, and I got lots of them, and I'll just tell you one. One of the stories that, they, that I asked him to verify one time, and he said it was true, is that he was preaching at a church, and there was a man that came in with his wife who did not believe in God, and he didn't even want to be there that night, but he came because he, she, didn't, she didn't want to drive by herself in that part of town, and he drove, he sat on the back row, and he didn't believe in God, and all of a sudden, this man came up and this woman was shocked when he did. He came up and knelt and gave his heart to the Lord. And they asked him later, they said, man, you have never gone to church. You're not even believe. You don't even believe in God. You're an atheist. What changed your mind? He said, when that man got up to preach tonight, he said, it was those two men that were standing beside of him. He said, when he got up to preach, there was two men on each side, and every time the crowd would get kind of low, one of them would whisper something in his ear, and he would say it, and the crowd would begin to fill the room with praise again. And then the crowd would die down, and then he would whisper something in his ear again, and he would say it. He said, I watched that all night long, and I'm thinking, I can't believe that people are putting up with that. Those men are telling him what to say. And he couldn't believe it because he was seeing this. He said, and then when he went down there and started knocking people down, he said, I noticed that he'd put his hand on them, and that one guy would come over and put his hand on top of his and the other guy would go behind him and catch him and he said I watched that all night long but he said I was wondering why people were putting up with that he was back there the whole time questioning everything he was seeing and they said while I was watching it they disappeared and I realized for the first time that I was not watching men, that I was watching angels. And because God gave him that sign, he came down the aisle and gave his heart to the Lord and now is a born-again believer because God let angels convince him of the genuine power of God. You know what I think? I think some of you have seen angels. You might not have known it was an angel, but I believe some of you have seen angels in your lifetime. I believe they walk among us. How many of you know, anybody in this room know that you've seen an angel before? Just look around this room. Look at all the people you know without a doubt you've seen. I know that I have. I know that not just that one man that I told you about in the white suit, not just him, but I've seen another one too in Illinois. So there's at least, you know, the gas prices are high there, but there's angels there too. I'll just leave it there. All right, here's another thing, and I'm almost through. I'm going to tell you a couple more things, and I'm done. Supernatural blessings. Um, when we were at Twin Rivers, we were trying to build our building, and um, we had bought this old St. Louis soccer house. It was an indoor soccer field, and we were going to turn it into a church. But because we'd closed down a, some gambling establishments there, the city didn't want us to build, so they were trying to hold our, our leases or hold our permits. We couldn't even get occupancy permit. We had, um, we had chains on the doors, and we couldn't even occupy the building at this time because of, because of this. The county commissioner at the time, his name was Buzz Westfall, and um, you know he wasn't known for being a righteous man, but um, Mr. Westfall is the one holding all these up. And all, we had to have 32 signatures from the county because, because they wouldn't even allow us in the building. And so we worked on this for a year. We got lawyers and we spent all kinds of money that we really didn't have just trying to occupy a building that we bought. We were already paying payments on the building. And every, day, every Sunday we were meeting in schools 
we had to move 18 times during that time because we, we'd, we'd outgrow a school, we'd move into another school, and we just were meeting all over the area. It was the craziest journey. It was a, it, looking back, it sounds like fun, but it's easier to tell than it was to live at times. It was a rough time. And so we were moving from place to place, and so we, our church went on a 21-day fast, and I was fasting and praying and asking the Lord to, to show me what to do and while I was praying, the Lord said, I want you to take the congregation to Gilgal. That was the word he gave me. And honestly, I thought he was telling me a neighborhood in St. Louis I'd never seen before. So I got out a map and started looking for Gilgal, Missouri. And it doesn't exist. And so I was confused. And I thought, Lord, the only other Gilgal I know about is in the Bible. And that's where they begin to anoint them before they went into the promised land. And the Lord said, that's what I want you to do. I want you to anoint the land. So I go to, on Sunday morning, and I tell the congregation, we're going to go into the building tonight. We're not supposed to be in there. Uh, we don't have a built. We don't have an occupancy permit. But I'm going to go in the building tonight, and I'm going to build an altar, and I'm going to anoint this building because the Lord told me to take them to Gilgal. If they arrest me, then you know you'll know. I'm just letting you know ahead of time. If you want to come and join me, then you're welcome to. And that night, and I've got family here to tell you that night we probably had 800 people showed up in with lawn chairs. I mean, they're all over the place, and we're sitting all around there. And we bring in these cinder blocks. And, and we put one down and pray for it and then another one down and pray for it. Finally, we got the 12th stone on. We were trying to do it like the children of Israel did it. And then I took a, a gallon of oil and began to play it. And we had, I had faith on a keyboard, playing a keyboard that night. I can't remember if we were running it from a generator or from electric. I can't remember. I just remember that she was playing a keyboard. And we had one little microphone that we were singing and talking on. And that night, there was a rain that came over that building that was so loud that you couldn't even hear it. I mean, it sounded like it was going to blow it away. And the first thing my mind went to was, oh, my goodness, we're going to put a lot of insulation on that roof because if that happens during a service, we'll never even be able to hear anything. That's where my mind went. And there was a lot of kids that had just come back from Winterfest, and they'd left their, they'd left their luggage outside. And when they went outside to get their luggage, they come in and told us, there is no rain. It is only the sound of rain. When we walked outside, it was night. It was absolutely clear. It was a February night. It was absolutely clear. There were stars in the sky. There was no clouds. There was no rain. But when you walked into the building, it was the sound of rain inside that building. And I knew that God had given us a sign. I knew that there was, this was a miracle. It was, a, it was a, like the mighty rushing wind. They didn't feel it. They heard it. And I knew that we had heard the sound of rain. And so I go back home and I'm excited because we've anointed the building and we heard the sound of rain and three days later I remember it was exactly three days later I'm down in my office praying early one morning and my wife came down there and told me she said Brian the county commissioner is on the phone and he wants to talk to you. And I'm thinking, oh, no. They found out what we did. We're going to get a fine for going in that building. They had that pink slip up there for a reason. We're not supposed to be in there. They're going to get a fine or I'm going to get arrested or something. And so I got on the phone. And he said, is this Dr. Brian Cutshaw? And I said, yes, sir, it is. He said, um, well, I want to tell you, I haven't been able to sleep for days. And uh, I realized that, that a friend of mine had done a big favor for me. And, and the only way I could 
could know to ease my conscience is to call them up and tell them, um, I, I, I want to do a favor for you so it will ease my conscience and I can go to sleep because I haven't slept for three days. It's been three days since this rain has hit. It's been three days. This guy hasn't gone to sleep. This is the guy holding it all up. And he said, he had no idea who I was. This person said, well, instead of you doing a favor for me, I want you to do a favor for my pastor. So he said, okay, you're their pastor. What can I do for you? I said, sir, do you have any idea who I am? No, I have no idea who you are. I said, you know there's 32 building permits over on Tesson Ferry Road? Oh, no. You're not that guy, are you? I said, yes, I'm that guy. And he used a few choice words that I can't use in the pulpit. He said, well, listen, I've got to go to sleep, man. How fast can you get down here? I said, I can get down there as quick as you need me to. He said, then can you get here in an hour? I said, yes, sir. I ran upstairs. I cleaned up as best as I could. I got my, I got my empty briefcase. It had not one thing in it. But I went, to, I went to the county seat in Clayton, Missouri, and I planned to come home with 32 building permits. That's what I went for. I came in empty, and I went to that man's desk, and he had this big, long table there in the county seat, and this guy was known for using a lot of foul language in that day. I can prove I'm a witness. It is true. He did not want to do this, but he had to do it. God made him do it. I felt like I was in front of Pharaoh and hearing God say, let my people go or I'm sending 10 plagues. I felt like in that moment, and that guy called in. He had to call in all 32 of those guys, and they looked at him like he lost his mind. He said, sign it. And I remember one guy was so mad, he didn't want to sign it, and he slammed his hand on that table I just sit there like I didn't know what was going on. He slammed his hand on that table, used a few choice sailor words, and said, I said, sign it. Listen, he's all these guys' boss. They have nowhere to go. He kept doing that for a couple of hours, and finally he finished the 30-second signature, slid it across the table. His face was red. He was mad. He didn't want to do it. He said, is that all you need, preacher? I said, yes, sir, that's all I need. I put those 32 building permits in that empty briefcase, and I walked out of there. I don't, I don't skip much, but I think I skipped a little bit to the car that day, thinking, yes, God, you showed up with signs and wonders. And I tell you, that was as big of a miracle as the rain to me. What just happened? And we built that church for the glory of God. We even redesigned the whole church to put the pulpit where that altar was built, in the middle of the church, because God showed up with signs and wonders, a supernatural way, unexplainable blessings. And I want to tell you, you don't have to believe that story, but I'm telling you, it's exact. That's how it happened. And there are hundreds of witnesses that heard it and saw it. It's amazing how God opened up a door like that. Amazing. I want to, I want to tell you one more. Uh, I, I want to tell you, yeah, I've got two more. I'm just going to tell you one of those. I'm going to go to the last one, Divine Connections. You want, to tell, you want to hear both of them? I'm telling you, I could do this all night, and I've already gone long, so I hope I'm building your faith, though. The other one is supernatural gifts. Some of you know my spiritual father is Lamar Vest. He's one of my spiritual fathers, and he's the guy that I go to a lot for advice and wisdom, and he always just, you know, helps me so much anytime I'm making life decisions he knows about everything I'm doing in life, and I run it by him whenever. I don't want to make a decision by myself. Uh, I want godly counsel around me helping me do that. And so um, Dr. Vest tells this story. He said that his, 
his uh, great uncle was a moonshiner. And uh, there was a lady that was coming to their town in Anderson, South Carolina to hold a revival. And he didn't believe that a woman could preach. She was out in an old brush harbor. You guys know what that means? That means they just, it's a, it a homemade tent, sawdust on the floor. They put, they take limbs and they build it and they lay brush on the top of it. So it's kind of like a homemade tent. She was out there preaching and he was full of some brand new moonshine that he had just made. And he and his, he and his, uh, his brother went with him out there because they wanted to make fun of this woman preacher. He said her name was Nettie Hanby. And so they went out there and he said they were drunk as they could be and they had their jug of moonshine. They sat out there in the back and he said they got to listen to that woman preaching and they went there to make fun of her, but the longer she preached, the more they got convicted. He said before they knew it, they had both sobered up completely and when she gave the altar call, he said they tried to outrun each other to the altar. And he said they got down there that the Lord sobered them up in the middle of that service. They got down there and got to praying. And he said they went down and they started praying. And when they, when they got through, they got saved. The lady said, he said there was mostly women in this, in this prayer meeting. They said, oh, no, you're not through yet. You need to get sanctified. You know, that's how the old saints said, save, sanctify, and fill with the Holy Ghost. That's what they believed. So he said, you got to get sanctified now. So they pushed them down again. And they prayed over them, shook their backs and all the things they did, messed up their hair a little bit, and they prayed until they got sanctified. At least they were satisfied that they were sanctified. And then they got up and they said, whoo, boy, we're feeling good now. He said, oh, you're not through yet. You got to get filled with the Holy Ghost. I mean, so they pushed those two moonshiners down one more time, and they prayed for them until they were speaking in tongues and got filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, and they both got baptized with the Holy Ghost, and they started to get up, and Nettie Hamby said, oh, no. She said, I've got to leave this region. We got to start a church here. We need one of you to go down till God calls you to preach. And they went down. This guy was a, he came into that place drunk and he left there saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and called to preach. He said there was a real problem though. The guy was illiterate. He had never been in church. He didn't know anything about the Bible and he could not read. So he could not read the Bible. This was, this was his uncle Otis Smith is his name. So he said his uncle Otis Smith said, if I'm going to preach at this church, I need to know what to preach. And he had never been to church. He didn't know what to preach. So he said he went out in the woods and began to pray. And he came back every day and said, do you know what to preach? No, I don't know yet, but God's going to show me. He said, this old moonshiner that had just gotten saved did this for three months. And after praying in the woods for three months, he came back. He'd take a Bible out there with him and just hold that Bible up until God to teach him what was in it, waiting on a miracle to happen. And about three months into this, he opened the Bible and could read every word in the Bible. He said this man, to the day he died, could not read a newspaper, could not even write his own name. To the day he died, he could not spell his own name, but he could read every single word in the Bible. And he preached in that church until he died. And there's still a church in Anderson, South Carolina today where Otis Smith planted that church from Nettie Hamby's ministry. And that's a great, great church. I've actually preached in that church before. It's a great church now in Anderson, South Carolina because God gave him a supernatural gift. Don't limit what God can do for you. One more. When I was pastoring Twin Rivers, we uh, wanted to do some missions work, and we did, 
We built churches all over El Salvador and Honduras and Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Mexico, all over the place. And we were go down and build churches. We built hospitals. We just we had construction crews and we'd go in there. And the Lord told us to go to Belize, and um, we didn't know anybody in Belize. So I took down I took down a team, and I said, okay, we're going to go down and just assess it. So I took about four people with me. And we went down to Belize, and we looked at the land. We met the missionaries down there because they hadn't asked us to come. The Lord told us to go down there because they didn't have a place to live and didn't have churches to worship in. So we were going to go to Belize and build some, start our missions work down there. And so the trip to Belize was not, it was not going well for us. We, we had a guy that took our money. He tried to, uh, you know, he promised things. We gave him all the money we had. He took our money and left, and he just robbed us, basically. And so we're going back to the, to the airport, and we're all very discouraged. And now, right before we left, the, the, the church had sang, thank you for giving to the Lord. And that was kind of a mission song. They'd, they'd, they sang that over an offering that they took up for us to go to Belize. And so we're leaving the country very discouraged. We're thinking, maybe we didn't hear from God. Maybe this is not what we're supposed to do. And so um, I've got, I remember the four people who were still with me, and, and um we're walking into the airport to go home, and we're just, we just feel like we missed the Lord. You know, We just thought we didn't hear well, and we just missed the Lord. So we're sitting there in the Belize airport. We haven't even gone through security yet. We're sitting there in the Belize airport, and I hear that song playing somewhere in the building. I don't even know where it's at. And it's that song, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. And I said, hey, guys, you hear that? Yeah. I said, we haven't heard any Christian song. That, that's the, that country is the largest religion there is Wicca there in Belize. And so there was not a lot of Christians there. And so I, I said, this is God. God's trying to tell us something. And my team looked at me like I was nuts, but that wasn't the first time people looked at me that way. I said, we're going to go find that song. What? Yeah, we're going to go find that. This is God. God's telling us to do this. So we start traipsing all through the airport trying to find that song, and we come to the to the security office. The head of security has the door cracked, and it's a woman, and there's a song. That song is coming out of her office played on a cassette tape player, all right? So we walk into her office, and she has a splitting migraine headache. And I said, ma'am, we listened to your song, and she has this headache. She can't hardly look up. And I said, do you mind if we pray for you? And she said, Oh, thank the Lord. She said, there aren't any Christians around here. She said, thank the Lord. Please pray for me. I've got a splitting migraine headache, and I can't hardly get through this shift. Listen, I'm telling you, this is the God's truth. This is exactly what happened. We went over, and, I, you know, when I pray for people, I lay my hands on them. That's how we always do it. Well, this is a woman who's the head of security in Belize Airport. I walked over, and when I laid my hand on her, she was slain in the spirit. And now we're scared. Because this woman is laying on the floor of the security office, and we got four Americans standing over her going, oh, my goodness, what do we do now? You didn't tell us this was going to happen. We had no idea what was about to happen. We didn't know if they were going to arrest us. We didn't know what was going to happen. We are just hoping she'd come too fast. She laid there for a while, and we just waited to kind of close the door behind us. We didn't want anybody walking in on us, you know. This woman gets up out of the floor, and her headache is completely gone. And she said, listen, there's another guy down there, and she, I can't remember what, what was wrong with him. He's working the security line, but he's sick. Can you pray for him too? 
she went down there and got this guy off the security line, and he came up there, and listen, I'm just barely touched this guy because I didn't want that happening again. I just barely touched him. He went out too. Her hands are in the air. Now we have the second security person laying on the floor in the security office. Guys, when you get to heaven, you're gonna meet all these people, and they're gonna tell you, I'm telling you exactly the way it happened. She went and got every single person on the security belt, brought them there, and God slayed every one of them in the spirit. Some of them didn't even know what was happening. They were falling on the ground, and they didn't even know what was happening because this woman kept bringing them to us to pray for. So when they finally, we got the whole security office there. They're all rejoicing and thanking God. They, some, more, some of them had to go back down and work the line. And this lady said, why are you here? I said, God told us to come to Belize, but we don't have a contact to get our, our equipment in. We, we need to get a lot of supplies here and equipment. She said, well, you do now. She said, here's my phone number and here's my email. Anytime you wanna bring tools through this airport, you tell me and me and my security team will be waiting on you. We'll personally escort you through there. Listen guys, we went to Belize for years. We would call that cell phone number and they would meet us at the airport. We took chainsaws, we took everything, with skill saws, hammers. You could take a machete through there if you needed to. They never questioned anything we brought in. We built a home for the missionary. We built the church for the missionaries to worship in. They started an ambulance ministry down there with Otanel Collins, started an ambulance ministry there in Belize, all because God says, if I want to get you in the country of Belize, if I have to slay the whole security force, I'm going to get you in the country of Belize, and to God be the glory, we went in there for years without any trouble and got everything we needed in and out of that airport because God did a miracle. Hallelujah. You know why I believe that sermons like this are important? Not just so you can hear inspirational stories, and I hope they've built your faith, because I'm telling you, they've certainly built mine. Things like this are important because of this verse here, Daniel chapter four, verse two. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for you. How great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is, everla is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion, get this, is from generation to generation. And do you know why I believe sermons like this are important? Because there's a generation that has grown up that doesn't have a single story like that. There's a generation that has grown up. My generation, I saw that broken bone healed. I saw those healings and miracles. I was 18 years old when that woman was healed at Bradley County, but there are teenagers who've never seen anything like that. They've never seen God do one miracle like that. There are college students, there are people in their 20s and 30s who've never seen a miracle like that in their lifetime. But God says, I'm not gonna let this generation go by without seeing signs and wonders. And I believe with all of my heart that the glory of God is about to sweep this earth and we're gonna see holy visitations like we've never seen it before. I wanna see something I can't explain. I wanna see a sign from God that I can't explain.